Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, Awareness Explorers. It's so good to have you as part of the family. I usually say I'm excited to uh, do these podcasts, but today I am absolutely thrilled because one of my favorite teachers, the one that I'm actually reading and, and following the most currently, we get to interview, and I know my co-host Brian has had a lot of experience with Locke Kelly as well. So we get to uh, interrogate him and, and find out little geeky stuff about how he developed these glimpse practices that he'll talk about. And I think you're going to find a really exciting time together where we get into some specifics and some very practical ways of tuning into or being awareness that we are. So before I start questioning Locke and Brian starts questioning Locke, let's give you a little bit of background about uh, Locke Kelly. Why don't you do that, Brian? Okay, sure. Locke Kelly is an author, meditation teacher, psychotherapist, and founder of the Open Hearted Awareness Institute. Locke's teaching combines the earliest non-dual wisdom traditions with modern science and psychotherapy. He helps people access awakening as the next natural stage of human development. He studied extensively with Mingyur Rinpoche and was invited to teach direct realization by Adyashanti. Locke has collaborated with neuroscientists at Yale, UPenn, and NYU in the study of how awareness training can enhance compassion and well-being. His international studies include Buddhism, insight meditation, interspiritual contemplative meditation, Advaita, Dzogchen, and Sutra Mahamudra. Locke is the author of Shift into Freedom, The Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness, and most recently, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, A Revolutionary Guide for Living an Awakened Life. Uh, here is that book, which is really, really wonderful. And the only thing I might add is that Jonathan and I were talking and saying, you know, Locke, you're the teacher whose teachings are most resonant with what we talk about on Awareness Explorers. So I think thrilled <laughs> is a good word, uh, Jonathan. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, such a pleasure to be here with both of you. Your um, Your energies and your whole spirit is so much resonant with me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, great to hear. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so let the questioning begin. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I recently took your class on the shift network, which was really great. And I like how you make the distinction between what's been called mindfulness yeah. or deliberate mindfulness and effortless mindfulness. And I'm wondering if you can say a little bit just quickly about that distinction and whether you see them as being really different things or actually being complementary in working together. Sure, yeah. Traditionally, in most uh, meditation systems from the yoga system to Buddhism, deliberate mindfulness uh, or shamatha is traditionally the first preliminary practice that leads to insight meditation and then effortless mindfulness is in the Mahayana and Tibetan tradition, 
a shift into another level of mind. So you're still mindful, meaning connected or in contact with who you're with or what you're doing. But the difference is in deliberate mindfulness, you're using your small mind, an attentional system, or your meditative observer looking at contents as they're separate. And in effortless, you're discovering, turning awareness back, looking through the meditator <laughs> to discover the awareness that's already aware by itself. And then when you're aware of thoughts, feelings, sensations from there, uh, not only do you get the insight that they're not you and they're coming and going, but actually there's kind of an interconnectedness that they're rising and they're made of awareness. So there's a more embodied, interconnected uh, feeling from your nature of mind. So that's kind of a simple beginning discussion of effortless mindfulness. Yeah, I've always thought of it as, um, well, I've always thought that in mindfulness, as most people know it today, which is, by the way, proven to be very helpful for things like yeah. blood pressure and calmness and serenity and peace of mind. But I've always thought that there was a missing piece of mindfulness because mindfulness is often focused on an object outside of yourself. And the missing piece I always thought was awareness itself. Yes. And so, so gratifying to hear you talk about adding awareness of awareness yes. to mindfulness. Would you say that's one of the major distinctions between deliberate yeah, that, and effortless? Yeah, so, so that, you know, that word which is, or that dimension of consciousness, which is not on our Western psychological map, uh, whether you want to call it pure awareness or it's called uh, Turiya in, uh, in Sanskrit, it's called the Rigpa. In uh, Tibetan Buddhism, it could be called the Tao. So there's some dimension of source of mind, nature of mind, prior to our small thinking mind that is inherent within babies and life itself, consciousness that's aware. Uh, prior to thought based, I think I think therefore I am, and then can be discovered post into wisdom mind. And that uh, movement is really what awakening is about. So I'm kind of using the preliminary practices, whatever you want to, whether you start with deliberate mindfulness or yoga or no practice, the practice of no practice. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to say whatever you're doing, you probably did some stuff, you know, yeah. <laughs> that uh, got you to at least grow up a little bit and develop some functioning. And now can we shift into this pure awareness that's already aware without our help? So that's what effortless really means too, is not that you may not have to make an initial effort of shifting or unhooking or glimpsing, but then what you discover is that you have to let go or surrender that looker, which is made of awareness, into an awareness that's already self-sustaining, already naturally aware, and that the amazing thing is then we can be aware from there back to not just a kind of transcendent meditative state, but actually a flow which is highly functional, open-hearted, and relieved of that 
small separate sense of self, though it includes our personality and our body. And what I like about both you and Brian's approach is that you both are focused on, well, let's come up with a lot of methods, a lot of what you call glimpse practices, and see what works for you. Yes. And uh, you two in particular might be the uh, people on earth who most come up with practices. And I am a method junkie, so I, uh, I'm very honored to work with both of you in that way. So um, you're, saying, you're saying that we're awareness dealers or something like that? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> dole them out one by one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, um, maybe they'll uh, they'll legalize it. In yes, that's right. That's what one of my students said when, when she had a shift into her true nature within a minute or two. She said, oh, my God, is this legal? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. So far, to, you know, do you think it's actually, since you work with a lot of people, Locke, do you think over time this shift into... Uh, effortless mindfulness, what we sometimes call the background of awareness. Do you think it's getting easier for people? And if so, why? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it has always been uh, available, certainly. I mean, that's the premise of this whole unique uh, form of kind of advanced yet simple <laughs> awakening is that it's not something you create or develop. Uh, it doesn't take like some other developmental stages of evolution, a smarter mind, a more complex thinking process. Uh, but it literally, this awareness that is essential is already here within us, that that which we're seeking is who we've always been. And so in some ways it might be easier, but in some ways it might be more difficult because we've gotten too smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in that way, we're like overthinking it. And um, we do what I call uh, not only the spiritual bypass, which is kind of leaving and being transcendent, but of the cognitive overpass, which is trying to think our way into awareness and philosophically discover it. But I think the overcoming of that knowing by thinking is one of the first obstacles that in a short time is like a, you know, almost like a short circuiting of, of people like what, wait, wait a minute. I don't understand. My brain doesn't understand what you're asking me to do. And I'm saying, well, yeah, I'm saying don't use your brain that, you know, is trying to figure out what to do. Just shift out of that and see what's here. Yeah. But what do you mean? That makes no sense, you know, to, because the, the thinker, the searcher, the doer can't do it. And yet, then the paradox is, well, then some people say, well, then there's nothing to do. It can only happen by luck or grace. Or you just can't do anything. There's nobody here that can do anything and nothing's, things just happen. Um, so there's something in between, which is that the awakeness that we already are can know itself. And that is a, like a feeling sense uh, willingness to go beyond our intellectual powers and the way that we know other things. Uh, then I think it can be um, more easily uh, stabilized these days. Hmm. 
Well said. You have a question before I, I interrupt, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I remember um, a long time ago, I've been meaning to ask you about this, Locke. Um, in one of your uh, day-long or weekend retreats uh, here in New York, a bunch of us all went out for a bite afterwards. And we were sitting around eating, and you were there. And you said that sometimes you wished that you had a better way to communicate hmm. how much fun it was <laughs> to look from here, to be awareness looking at the world. And I've always wanted to, uh, to, to um, ask you a little bit more about that, uh, about your experience, about what it feels like to, um, to look at the world from this point of view and, and how to communicate that. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> now we might we might end up, you know, losing it here if we start uh, down this <laughs> road. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's something that you know in the initial kind of waking up, most people describe a kind of relief or a freedom or kind of an absence uh, or a reduction of suffering. So there's some openness. There's some oh. And then some schools will say, well, that's it. So you actually want to be absent of all commentary and even attachment to emotion. And so there's kind of a neutral feeling. Um, in other traditions, like the ones that I uh, have been uh, more involved with, there's a natural, when the small separate sense of self relaxes, there's a freedom, there's an equanimity, uh, but then there's almost positive natural qualities of bliss, of joy, of love, of connection that begin to show themselves. And it's not that we're trying to gain these states as if they're what's called niyams or uh, cities, or which are these words that are used for like meditation states. Mm -hmm. But these are literally like who we would be if, if we weren't operating from this small separate sense of self, if we weren't creating a habit out of thought going to thought, going to emotion, going to body, going to subject object, to create this way of living in this world, which is one operating system, which unfortunately people can live a life from that point of view. You can live it, which is, if you couldn't live it at some point, I mean, people can't live it because they end up depressed or anxious, or, but they still, you know, live their years out in misery, you know, low-level misery, medium-level, extreme. This awakening is the absence of, but then there's these qualities of joy and bliss. And so, but it's hard to say that from the beginning. Um, to say, you know, what I try to say is, you know, all I'm saying is the water's great, come on in, you know, <laughs> and, and play. But as soon as I start saying, oh, there's so much, you know, love and, and I feel interconnected and blissful, the ego from the student often says, oh, I'll never get that or that's too advanced or that's too, or they'll grab hold of it. Oh, it's about bliss. Oh, it's about <clears throat> trying to be happy. It's trying to, you know, whereas it seems there's a kind of the process for most is a 
stepping out of or letting go or opening from any attempt to try to awaken or mm. try to gain the qualities that will eventually show up. So, so I kind of feel I've tried different, different ways of <clears throat> expressing and there's some need to unplug from all of conditioning and plug it. And then the unique thing about this uh, process that I, that works well for me, which is called small glimpses many times is, um, and this direct realization, uh, gradual unfolding is that not only do we shift out of the knowing, uh, conceptual knowing into not knowing, but we, and into pure, but then we shift into the solution of pure awareness and then realize the awareness is showing up as this living, as this life itself. So within moments, there's a glimpse of the fullness of the new operating system rather than spending a lot of years deconstructing and getting flooded by unconscious material. Um, so that's, uh, so the joy and the bliss is kind of like a low level no, new normal of how it feels to, you know, sometimes my wife says, you know, you just smile, you know, you're sleeping, but you're smiling all the time, you know? <laughs> so there's some, you know, and it's not like bragging or saying, something that's because it's not about me it's just you know what shows up when when you know the natural awareness that's embodied and open-hearted which is everyone's possible ca capacity is accessed yeah. yeah that really rings true because uh for if i try to create that joy and bliss or try and create any sensation or experience yeah. or emotion it doesn't work or try to prevent an emotion. But as soon as I just allow whatever is happening to be there and then do that little step backwards to mm -hmm. awareness itself, then the joy and bliss just comes flooding in, but not if I actually try to go for it. That's right. And then the other, you know, the other uh, thing is to step out and then people can get caught in being spaced out right. or kind of in awareness only or kind of a no self witness or kind of a meditative big sky mind where which we call spiritual bypassing. Yes. Which is spiritual bypassing. And so that's part of the process of, you know, or the unfolding that, uh, but to notice that and then to move from recognition of pure awareness to realization, which is, Oh, I am the awareness. And then, the important move is is then realizing curiously from the pure awareness okay are sounds thoughts energy feelings separate things that are coming and going in awareness uh if so you're in a meditation state or are these energies emotions thoughts made of awareness and you're asking you're not asking your mind, you're inquiring from the new not knowing that knows, from the mm -hmm. intelligence of awake awareness 
that can feel when it's separate and when it's actually, you, you know, more unity consciousness or actually what is called non-duality in Buddhism isn't pure awareness. It's pure awareness appearance. It's emptiness appearance, mm -hmm. emptiness bliss. It's the unity or the not two-ness of the ultimate reality and the relative reality. So that's a real important feeling to feel, oh, there's, a, there's an embracing from pure awareness uh, back to awareness energy uh, or, you know, awareness that is stillness and movement, you know, sh Shiva, the stillness and Shakti, the dancing uh, are not two. And then that's where the embodiment and non-fear and non-worry and that's where the blissful freedom embraces the uncomfortable emotions and the parts of us that uh, have been repressed and rejected and denied. Yeah, you know, uh, you described that really well. And one of the things I like about your work is you have a really good theoretical framework, and then you also have these glimpse practices so people can better have that experience directly. And at the end of this podcast, uh, we'll have you guide us in a guided meditation glimpse practice. But, you know, I'm very aware that 98% of life, I'm not meditating, or mm -hmm. actually my life, 90% of life, I'm not meditating. Um, you know, we're, we're doing things like the Zoom call, we're talking to people, we're cleaning our, our office. Are there practices that can be done while uh, they're so simple that they can be done in those types of situations? And if so, what would be an example of that? Yes. Yeah. So, so in many ways, that's kind of my main interest is these glimpse practices because most of them are done open-eyed. Um, most of them can be done in the subways of New York City or in a two-minute break instead of a coffee break, you know, water cooler break, cigarette break. You can take a glimpse. Uh, you can glimpse uh, from wherever you are. And then uh, not only do you realize and shift out of operating system one thought-based separate sense of self to this spacious, boundless, timeless, embodied, open-hearted, uh, awake being. <laughs> but then, actually, the importance is then immediately or within moments start to talk and walk and relate and create and type so that you literally, that's part of the embodiment or the stabilization or the transition where you're literally getting your neuronal networks to start to um, rewire to this new normal of living an awake life. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of what one of those practices could be? Sure, yeah. So, so this one is one of the simplest ones um, that is kind of uh, curious. It's a little inquiry that I developed through kind of inquiring into what is the real catch. So the, you know, to kind of summarize uh, 
what's the problem and what's the solution, the, it's not that complex to say what it is in some ways. It's this habit of self-referencing that creates uh, thinking as primary and then creates a thinker. So as we've heard, I think therefore I am is what the ego center feels and has philosophical French uh, philosophy to back it up. Uh, so he feels pretty happy about that. So, so then the word for suffering, though, in Buddhism uh, is dukkha, and it's often translated as perpetual dissatisfaction. So this small mini-me, this thought-based loop or pattern, thinks it's an I or an entity that is like a body that can get needs to get something to eat or grab something to make it feel okay or feel like there's some problem it needs to solve because it feels perpetually dissatisfied but it's trying to to solve this problem of self and and so if that pattern relaxes uh whether you sit on a meditation cushion for three weeks or three months, three years or three lifetimes. Uh, or you can just feel what it's like if that uh, problem solver would relax and then you feel with awareness who's here or what's here by not orienting to thought and not uh, going to sleep in order to just rest. So all that as a premise to this simple inquiry, which you can understand and then ask yourself and then look with awareness. So the inquiry is, what's here now when there's no problem to solve? And just understand the question, and then relax the problem solver, and then feel quality of being that doesn't need to orient to thought to be. Just notice what's absent and notice any qualities of presence. And then if I'm in a group, I'll ask people to speak them without going back to your mind to confirm what you're going to say, but literally to begin to speak from here. So what would you guys say? What was the qualities, qualities that show up, the feeling of being? Well, for me, it's a, immediately a feeling of peace and expansiveness. Mm -hmm. Like uh, almost like you let go of the small physical body or the small self and you, I become aware of this, uh, I guess, awareness that just feels like being laid, let out of a cage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. For me, there's a sense, there's a little shift of identity from 
that mini me, as you put it, that problem solver into something that's so much less defined and so much more actually just simply connected with all of experience. In other words, what's happening now is me. What's in awareness is me, not that little, that little problem solver thing that just goes on automatic all the time. Yeah, beautiful. So, I mean, you see that here we are in the midst of, you know, doing a podcast and da 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 blah 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 and then inquiry one second, two seconds, three seconds, new shift. So literally, oh, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a literally realization and when there's a group of people that do this and start speaking, it's literally like people walked off the street and now there's Lao Tzu speaking and there's Buddha speaking and there's Kuan Yin speaking and there's, you know, it's like, where did they come from? Like, you know, they're, they're, that's who we are. So this is the, you know, just to see the first thing is like to experience that premise. It is this close. It's already within us. It's already inherent. It's just, you know, a matter of a shift foreground background is the initial awakening. And it's done intentionally. We did it intentionally by, this one was by letting the, that which is in the way relax. But we had to kind of find it, you know, and then let it, to say, well, just relax and let's see what's here. And then to try to take that relaxed being state into the world, is it a matter of just practice or, or getting a, a better sense of the feeling or the what helps to then take that next step of, of walking around in that experience? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is the first thing is, um, you know, the is kind of feeling how to do it. Um, and then like the, the word for meditation uh, in Tibetan is sometimes translated as familiarize. So you realize now you just familiarize yourself with yourself, or you familiarize yourself with your no self, and then feel the sense of hereness or being or so that just that staying you know sometimes i call dog zen uh, <laughs> stay 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 <laughs> and then or just call it marinating rather than meditating uh -huh. so you just marinate the meat you know in the in the awareness mm -hmm. or saturation yeah so you just being now, the transition, the next transition becomes being aware of functioning. So first aware of seeing, hearing, perception. And now, can you speak or type from here? And you, and you may not be right away. You may be like immediately go into the doer. And then you kind of, okay, let's start again. So the transition to being 
which doesn't require thought to be and doesn't require doing to be, can the being do? Can the being, can we go to dooby dooby doo? Can we go to, <laughs> to doing from being? So that is, a, is where it can be a playful transition. If you're not kind of judging yourself, if you go like, all right, let's see if I can, let's start with something simple. Can I walk, can I stand up and walk? Can I, you know, and then add thought, can I type a sentence? You know, can I talk to somebody on the phone? And often it is a little bit like a baby Buddha stage because you're a little slower and then your mind says, if you're talking to someone, well, you're taking about a hundred years to answer you know, that question. <laughs> they say, so how are you doing? And you're going like, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then you say, well, you know, you know, and you feel really fine, but the words just kind of like came from somewhere else. And then you eventually start talking and saying things and you're like, Oh, that was kind of good. I don't know where, I don't even think I thought of that one. You know, you're talking to somebody and come up with some way of saying something because it starts to become like a continuous intuition. Right. And that's and a great, great explanation on uh, something like this, where, uh, where we have a podcast and we have a guest explorer on and we have lists of questions and our, and our minds are often taken up with, um, well, make sure you have a question ready for the next time there might be a low, <laughs> but instead you can just talk and see what comes out like this. Yeah. It's actually kind of cool. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm like always surprised what I'm saying. Like I never think about, particularly when I'll go and teach, I'll just kind of just let it trust the intelligence of the heart mind to organize it in a way. And this is the thing is that the, the, you know, the secular state that's closest or has a real resonance to living an awakened life is called the flow state or, you know, being in the zone which athletes, musicians, actors, scientists, people who garden are doing highly sophisticated technical things like playing the violin in an orchestra. And when they've done 10,000 hours of, of functioning, which I think is what preliminary practices in some ways or ethical training is just to get functioning and thought and individuation from being a dependent baby to an individual who can show up and do tasks and uh, do some psychological things like delayed gratification. And But in these highly functional ways, people describe, oh, I, there's no ego. I'm not referring to thought. I felt like I was in the now. I was one with all the other uh, musicians. It felt like music was playing through me. You know, and this, um, so this is, is the possibility of living from, that, that awareness is not passive, that a lot of the training has been go into a monastery or go into a retreat and don't move, be silent, um, stay still, don't talk, don't look at anyone. 
And that can be an initial help, although some people may have had the same experience in minutes. Uh, then for us, for our interests, can you then get off the cushion and walk out into the world? And do you lose it in, you know, three minutes, three hours or three days and have to go like, oh, I should have had a V8. I should have like, <laughs> I need to go back. When's my next retreat? You know, like, or should I join the monastery? Otherwise, there's no hope. I have a little more calm ego, but I'm no longer operating from there. And so somehow training in the midst of life with small glimpses seems to be in some ways more optimal. Yeah, you know, the we have kind of compartmentalized our spiritual search. You know, it might be when we meditate or Sunday morning or whatever, and trying to make it about make our lives the our spirituality rather than put it in a compartment is really our our task at this point. Mm -hmm. I, I know um from your the course I did on the shift network with you that you do what could be called parts therapy. Some yes. people refer to it as voice dialogue or a lot of different therapies talk mm -hmm. about the different parts of ourselves and how they can create obstacles. And I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about what benefit you find from that work or how you relate it to your glimpse practices and awareness practices. Sure. Yeah, I think this is an important um, thing in the kind of unfolding and embodiment and living from an awake life. When you sit still and meditate, often in the first practices of deliberate mindfulness or insight meditation, you start to realize sensations, thoughts, feelings, and sensations come and go. This is called the four foundations of mindfulness. And you realize as one of the first insights, oh, I'm not my thoughts. So a thought comes by, oh, maybe I should get up and go get a drink. And then you realize that was a thought that used I, but I was aware of it. Where was I aware from? That's kind of the first mindful insight for many people that just because a thought's arising, it's not who I am. So the next sense is that when you're aware from from more spacious embodied awareness, you have a, a chance to both have that insight, but feel more, more embodied. And how does the parts work yeah. play into that? Yeah. So then, so then you see, you know, when you're sitting and watching, you tend, the, the training is often uh, notice thoughts, feelings, sensations. So you're kind of looking down at a level like with a microscope to see things as thoughts, feelings, and emotions coming and going, and you become the observer. But as soon as you uh, get off the cushion and begin to walk around and relate to people and do work and stuff, what I noticed is it's just, it has to form into identities. It forms into patterns of thought, feeling, sensation, and view. And it kind of comes one part, you know, rather than a thought, you could still call it a thought or a story or a belief, but it seems 
that if we really look at it, and I've played with it in all these ways, oh, is it just a thought? Oh, it's a belief. Oh, don't believe your beliefs. Oh, it's a story. Oh, don't believe your story. Oh, it's just a cognitive structure. But it seems to be that it forms into what are called mind objects or kleshas or these patterns which then sit in the seat of the self as if a young part or protective part of you begins to be you. And so in order to liberate them, if you try to treat them like, oh, well, that's just a thought. What would happen if I just replaced it with a positive thought or, you know, just went beyond belief and let go of the belief? It will go away, but it'll come back. <laughs> so it's going to come back as a, because it's got history to it. It's got emotion. And then if you treat it the way it feels it is, because it feels like it's a little mini me, it feels yes. like it's, it's a subpersonality. It's me. Like, what are you talking about? You know, they shouldn't be doing that, to, you know, to me. You know, why are they saying that to me? That hurts, you know, or, you know, I'll, I should have said this, or I should have said that. So if, as soon as you realize, oh, that's a part of me that feels hurt, that's a part of me that feels protective, uh, then you literally from this loving, open-hearted awareness can begin to unburden those parts. And you can begin even at first just to accept or see that you have all these parts. So rather than trying to be spiritual and above everything and have no emotion you literally say bring it on you know mm -hmm. let's see what 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 the feelings are and then you're gonna get you know repressed content that couldn't come up but you now have the capacity of the new self so you don't get flooded you actually can uh find this loving capacity that liberates and um heals um, these deep traumatic parts. So by seeing these parts from uh, heart-filled presence, say, yeah. they kind of relax and can lose their energy or force, which allows you to more easily relax into presence? Yeah. I mean, just that first feeling of, you know, going to pure awareness. Awareness is aware of itself. Now it's aware from this kind of energy and that meets from this boundless heart, kind of meets this open heart, and now a part arises. Now you see it, but the difference is between before meditation, you go like, oh, wow, okay, well, that's a part of me, and it's upset, and now it can be, you know, rage or terror, but it's, you're so much bigger than it, mm -hmm. whereas before, those emotions are bigger than your, any small psychological ego. Yeah. So there's no small, smart, psychologically adult, highly developed ego function that can handle uh, traumatic emotions. It mm -hmm. can't, you can only manage them. Um, and here there's ability to liberate, to love. So the first move is actually to love them and not ask them to change. So the rage and the terror is like, all right. I see, yeah, but, you know, nobody's listening to me. And I'm like, okay, no one's listening to you. No, you don't understand. Nobody listens to me. Yeah, I'm hearing that nobody listens to me. And eventually it's like, oh, nobody's listening to me. Yes, I'm listening. 
And then there's kind of like, okay, well, here's what I want to tell you. And you're not going to believe, you're not going to even like it. Okay, go ahead. And then it's like, it's like a kid who like, I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. Yeah, you're no longer resisting them so they can can relax. That's right. And heal. Yeah. And and so the key is that what we're dealing with here in this Awareness Explorers Club is that uh, we're not starting with just try to accept everything as it is. So literally, that's kind of often the relative level or preliminary practice that is kind of trying to imitate uh, this natural, loving, open-hearted awareness that when you are that, that's what that view does. It accepts everything as it is. So you don't have to try to accept everything as it is. Whereas if you start with just try to accept everything as it is, you develop a part that can accept everything it is, and then another part sneaks up and goes, yeah, but what about that situation? That's not so good. Well, you got to accept everything it is. Well, don't tell me what to do is accept everything it is. And then another part comes in, and then all of a sudden you've got polarized parts, which is what the dualistic mind is made of. Um, So trying to be kind will eventually repress some other part of you until you find this which can bear what seemed to be unbearable. Wow, that is really great and fascinating and uh, and a totally different paradigm. It's like these spiritual identities replace these other Mm -hmm. identities and and that just becomes another identity. But when we see them as as just one of the many objects in awareness. There's the identity that wants to accept everything as it is. There's the identity that wants to control things. There's the, you know, the scared child identity or whatever. And um, we don't have to change them. We just have to notice, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that there is something that's already there mm-hmm. that already accepts. So it's not an effort to accept. It's a noticing yeah. that they all appear in the same large field, and that's who we really are. Yes, and the, and the noticing from this, and it's kind of why I call it open-hearted awareness rather than just self, is that when you ask, you know, are you aware of this part? And then, you know, you will say yes. And then how do you feel toward this part? Pretty much if you're in this this no self self it will always say oh i feel loving or i feel compassionate mm. and it feels not only that but it feels bigger than it but also like at the same time connected or not separate from it <laughs> so it's not blended like identified it's 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 greater than and essentially kind of connected in this loving um you know, something bigger than acceptance, really. It's like unconditional love, that there's no conditions on this part of you that's mean or rageful or, you know, terrorized or hates something. It's like, you know, from your spiritual parts, oh, I shouldn't have that feeling of hating, you know, what just happened. It's like, well, there's a part of you that does. And Mm -hmm. how about that? You know, and now 
if you can be with that part from the loving capacity, it's such a relief because it doesn't then take you over or you don't have to polarize it and repress it with a false kind of spiritual ego. Brilliant. You describe these things very well, and they're not easy to describe. And that's one of the things I appreciate about your work. And from my experience, I, I can uh, listen to you and go, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean from that, you know, in that I experience it. Some of our listeners might be a little bit less familiar. Right. And um, for them, I want them to have the experience. <laughs> you're you're uh, amazingly good at creating guided meditations that guide people into these states of awareness. And I'm wondering if you can share one of them with us at this point. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of, kind of why I wrote a book to make it a little, a little clearer. Um, you know, at, at the end, I don't know if you guys saw the, the traps uh, and detours. They're kind of very funny little one of my favorite uh, parts of the, <laughs> the book, yes. Like the, you know, getting caught in the witness protection program. And the, mm -hmm. so there is, there is some sense that most people have tried to do this awakening from their smart parts. And yet, you know, thought or giving a map, using thinking to give a little explanation you know, primarily about what it's not and where not to look and how it kind of looks when you shift um, is, is what, what the, you know, thought and intellect is serving awakening uh, just to get you to then uh, let go or glimpse or directly experience. Um, but some clarification otherwise you know, there just can be a, a good feeling with relative practices. Like just, let's just try to accept everything as it is. Oh, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And, and literally people spend years, you know, back and forth, hoping that just watching their breath or something will naturally then unfold by itself. And, you know, the, the painful thing I've seen is it just, it, it doesn't for many people or, um, and so to have the same clarity about not just initial practices, but how to let go of the mind by giving a map and then some, some of these small practices is, um, is, uh, you know, I think is the way we, we kind of bring together the contemporary <clears throat> intelligence uh, with um, going beyond the contemporary intelligence to to the wisdom and love that that we are, yeah. So, all that to say that I, yeah, I've written a book about something that can't be described. So, so we well, luckily well. you can guide us into it. <laughs> yes. So, so now I'll guide guide you into. It. So I'm also like. Run, running the which one am I going to do? Uh, giving it over to the to the to the, to the intelligence that's mm -hmm. that's not me. Um, yeah, so I I feel like, okay. Let's let's do this one. That's kind of a it's all it's all it's like a Ferris wheel. It's like rolling around, feel it, feeling what's what's right for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's do the one that is 
awareness is knowing without using thought. Mm -hmm. So we'll sep separate it out. So it does kind of start with accepting everything as it is, but then it shifts to the awareness and you'll feel the difference. So maybe that's why it's a good thing since we were just talking about that. So pretty much all the glimpses can be done eyes open or closed. So this one, some of them are recommended eyes open. This one can be done either way. And certainly if you're driving, pull over uh, or do it later. So just begin by feeling your body just as it is. So just noticing kind of the way you would in deliberate mindfulness, sensation, any tiredness, pleasant or unpleasant, feeling tightness or openness. And then simply just allow your body to be as it is, no matter how it feels, whether tired or in pain or feeling pleasant or feeling comfortable or uncomfortable. But just don't change it. And just be aware of your body and the sensations and the feelings. And then just simply see, as you're aware of your body, if you can just kind of rest your awareness back or turn it around to be aware of what's aware of your body. So just a little more interested in what's aware of the awareness itself than the content. Just a little, instead of the content, be aware of the context. So then just notice this awareness as the subject and the object. Just notice that this awareness that's aware of your body is not tired. It's not in pain. not uncomfortable. It's contentless and aware and awake. And then notice that this awareness that's not tired and not in pain is with and within your body. That your body, you may even feel that sound and sensation and feeling and thought are made of this awareness as one sense of awareness arising, like the ocean of awareness arising as a wave, changing and yet something that's not coming and going. So that this vast awareness can be loving and even what's made of this dynamic changing aliveness that you are. 
and just check with thought too to see whether thought is changing and whether it's part of your body and whether you can be aware without orienting to thought just alert and loving embracing spacious and pervasive even the ocean of awareness extending out to the space in the room and other people or things in the room, maybe even to all of us gathered here virtually, to the universe, to all beings. And just notice where are you aware from? If you're not aware from your head, you're aware from this awareness just with your awareness just feel where you're aware from and just notice what it's like to be spacious and embodied and alert without orienting to thought to know and to be So from here, you can stay with this primacy of awareness that is arising as movement. So it has a stillness and a movement that's not two things, so nothing can take you out of this which you are. So this of just the primacy of awareness is all that we've done, the awareness-based knowing that's embodied and open-hearted, interconnected, ground, grounded in this timeless, always, all at onceness, here and now, from which you could hear and which you could, if your eyes gently open at some point, just let your eyes be soft and be equal rights for all of your senses so your eyes don't need to become predominant that let the feeling of spacious and pervasive awareness be primary, the alertness that feels this panoramic awareness rather than pinpointing. And from here you can transition to talking or listening or doing something after this podcast. Lovely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Sometimes you'll say a phrase that just um, really sticks with my mind. I like the phrase, where are you aware from? Are you aware from your head or are you aware from awareness? Mm -hmm. And that's a really good trigger for me to to see and to change where I'm aware from. And I like how you offer so many glimpse practices that you just have to find the one that triggers you into <laughs> letting go into our true nature. And, and I really appreciate how many of those different approaches that you've created, along with my co-host, Brian, uh, between the two of you, 
there's it can keep you busy for quite a while. Well, all of mine are inspired in such a huge amount by Lux Glimpse practices, and I recommend that our listeners try them all. Yeah, play with them. They're they're yeah. wonderful, and they're 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 in the book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, and yeah. try them. See yeah. which resonate with you. See which work for you. Try them on different days at different times and and play with them because they're, mm. they're they're really great. Yes. And and just to say that, you know, like Brian, you make you, you, you know, you're encouraged to make them your own. So even if you read the book, uh, one thing that I've had a bunch of students do is uh, read them into your phone in your own voice so that you now have an audio of kind of a guided practice, but it's your own voice. And then you can do it at your own pace. And you can even change some of the words that resonate more to what the instructions are. So you feel them bring you home. That's a great idea. Great idea. I, I like those methods where all you have to do is hit play on your phone <laughs> and you are catapulted back into awareness. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's the good use of technology, right? Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Any last words, Brian, or Luck? Not for me. I think we said it all and said it wonderfully. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was that was just the thing to encourage people to make it their own that, you know, that I just think that awakening is who we are. It's learnable. It's um, it's a natural capacity that um, I just encourage people to be creative and to be even awareness explorers. Oh, that sounds like a great name for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> but to all our friends out there, fellow explorers, as we always say, uh, tell your friends, family about this. Uh, it's best to learn this skill with other people. And of course, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.